Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Dylan, I, I regret to inform you that at this rate, we are in, we are <laughs> veering dangerously close to becoming a, a, a topical video game podcast. <laughs> and I don't know. Oh, no. I don't know how I Whatever feel about that. Whatever we do, we were always going against the grain. Although, I mean, like talk. I feel like talking about this in a month where Kirby Elden Ring or not month, but, you know, in a quarter yeah, where yeah. Kirby Elden Ring and even Final Fantasy Strangers of Paradise makes Tunic look like the hipsters pick still that's fair yeah <laughs> although we already talked about elden ring so yeah we're, we're fake hipsters we're, we're just in it for the cred in the clout <laughs> uh, don't uh, worry i'll bring back vagrant story next <laughs> next Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And here we are. We're back again. It is another strangely topical episode for us in that we're talking about a game that is released very frequently. Uh, but don't you worry. I've got a needlessly high-minded, artsy bullshit take to bring to, <laughs> bring to bear later in the episode. Um, oh, boy. I'm excited for this. Yeah. What are, what are we talking about this week, Dylan? Uh, today we're talking about the game Tunic, uh, released by, let me look up the guy's name, because it's it's been a second. <laughs> yeah, it's another uh, one-man, or largely one-man developed game, uh, guy Andrew Schuldice, Schuldice, Schuldice I'm not sure, looks like. I'm not sure which pronunciation is right. Schuldice? Um, yeah. I don't know. Something. Schuldice is how it, how it reads by, uh, so far. Yeah, but it is a, an isometric zelda inspired adventure game with like the barest bit of the sort of dark souls gameplay loop thrown yeah. in by which i mean there are save checkpoints that restore your health and magic but that uh respawn all the enemies and you have to go back and find your ghost if you die but really largely it is a love letter to old school adventure games in the vein of like it reminds me of Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, both yeah. in sort of equal yeah. measure. Um, um, it's got a little bit of the art of The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, and by that yeah. I mean um, it's it's got kind of, not a cel-shaded look, but uh, very cartoony aesthetic, and then also a little bit of the Tower of the Gods or Castle in the Sky st- flavor of ancient magical technology. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really fun. It dropped uh, within the last couple of weeks, uh, and Dylan, you bought it for your birthday, and then we yes. were hanging out on Discord, and you were streaming it, and I went, "Oh, I gotta get this." Yeah, um, every 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 like three minutes, I was like, "Oh my god, this game's so cool!" <laughs> yeah, uh, and so I bought it immediately after watching that, and I legitimately have not stopped thinking about it since. I've only played, pro- I've pro- well, only I've probably played about eight-ish hours of it, and I'm feeling like I'm 
if I'm feeling it out correctly, I'm probably a little past the halfway point, maybe veering towards three quarters of the way through the game, uh, mm. assuming they don't bust out any more twists on me. But game good, <laughs> game game very good. Uh, our I give it a an IGN nine point seven out of ten. Um, <laughs> but but genuinely, uh, what I think is so interesting is it is. Some frame of reference, I'm going to try to talk around anything spoilery. I have been very purposefully avoiding looking anything up uh, guidance-wise about the game because I'm having a really fun time figuring it out, which is kind of the whole gimmick of the game. Because, hey Dylan, what is what is the unique thing that Tunic has going for it? Okay, so Tunic has two unique things going for it. The first unique thing is that um, even though there are signs and I think uh, occasional NPCs that you can talk to, um, everything is in a like indecipherable language. So yeah. like if you've ever played a Zelda game and you've seen the Hylian text, usually you press the A button and the Hylian text is translated into whatever language you're playing the game in. Um, not so in Tunic. In Tunic, no. the, the core conceit is that um, aside from like a scant few words... Um, everything is in fantasy language, and I don't know if there's any kind of cipher used to write the um, fantasy. I will language. say I did a little bit of looking into it, and I have it. I did, again, I I have avoided doing any further digging because I didn't want to run into uh, anything that would sort of give up the puzzles of the game. But mm -hmm. apparently, it is translatable. There is some kind of actual language going on underneath this made-up script, which is okay. very cool. I was wondering if, like, maybe it does the Wind Waker thing where on a new game plus it's fully written out in English. Ooh, that would be um, interesting. I don't know. But yeah, that's that's gimmick one. What's gimmick two? And gimmick two is what has me frothing at the fucking mouth gimmick, about this gimmick game. Gimmick two is what made me buy this game. Like, over uh, Death Store, which was another game I was looking at purchasing. The So, core conceit number two is... There are the the way you learn the game's mechanics and the way you figure out the story and the way you learn where to go next and the way you get your dungeon maps. Basically, everything that uh, you would tangibly tangibly think of as um diegetic in any other Zelda game, where it's like you got a map, so now you have a map. You got a blank. You, uh, in this game, it is all given to you through the in-game manual, but. Not in the way that, like, oh, you just pull up the in-game manual and it's all there and you just consult it whenever you need to. No, um, the in-game manual is an actual collectible that you find scattered across the world. <laughs> yeah, you, you find individual pages of this, like, NES or Super Nintendo-style game manual, the kind of thing that would have been packed with the cartridge back in the 90s or early I, 2000s. I think of, I think of uh, Game Boy or Game Boy Advance game yeah. myself, but yeah, the, the um, general... And like complete with like table of contents and references to like to find out more about this. I like, you know, you're assuming it says this because it's all in this made up script. It'll be like, yeah, block of It'll made up script and then parenthetical page 26. And you have to flip through to page 26 if you found page 26 yes. by exploring yet. And it also leaves you in suspense because of that, because you're like, oh, man, this is going to feel like a plot twist when I get to page 20 and finally oh. figure out what they're hinting and, at. And the the other incredible thing is like. There, there is some, and again, in, I don't want to say there's like, I'm going to use the shorthand of saying there's sort of a Metroidvania kind of thing here in that, like, you know, there are doors that you will come to or paths that you will come to that are blocked when you first reach them. 
And some of those follow the typical Metroidvania or Zelda or, you know, insert adventure game here thing where like... Search action. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, some of them follow the typical search action mechanic where it's like, oh, no, you, there, is, there is actually a tool that you acquire later that you can come back and use here. But some of them, you have the tool, you have the ability to interact with these things from the beginning of the game. You just don't know that you do because you haven't found the page of the manual telling you how to do that. Or you haven't, like, used the context clues of the illustrations in the manual to put together, like, what button inputs you need to use. See, that is going to drive me crazy because I've been trying to figure out, like, some stuff of, like, I know there's got to be some function. Like, there was one that I, uh, one page that I found like just a little after that twist that I mentioned before we started recording where I was like, oh, I'm not actually near the end game. I found a page shortly after that and I was like, I could have been doing this the whole time. There's so much in this game that is so like creatively put together so that like maybe you'll stumble upon some of these things by accident. And the game seems to kind of want you to stumble upon some of these things by accident. And then other things are so like, once you figure it out, it's like, oh, okay, that is a perfectly reasonable little bit of, like, game design or control or input for a puzzle that I just never would have thought to do without it being told to me. And so the way that the game sort of gates your progression and keeps you moving along the, you know, quote-unquote intended path for a first playthrough by gating your access to that information until you find the page that it can put where it wants you to kind of come across it along that intended path is brilliant. And speedruns of this game are going to be insane, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man, it, you're just making me more excited like, to see, like, what the hell you're talking and, about. Like, again, I, I think we can probably keep this episode pretty short because, I, I again, I, I want to hype this game up and I want, literally, if any of this sounds interesting, and even if some of it doesn't sound interesting, I want as many people as possible play this game because it's doing really cool stuff. I think there's still a demo out. So, yeah, uh, like, you know. Uh, and I, I if, think if, it might be it, on the... Uh, it, is on, it is on Game Pass. So if you have oh, nice. uh, Xbox or PC Game Pass through the Microsoft Game Store, you can play this game, and I would highly recommend that you do. Uh, that's a great way to do it without having to drop the, the 30 bucks that it is retail right now. I don't want to go too much deeper in because like that really is sort of the core of the game. It's a Zelda like where the manual is a a collectible. And there's a part of me that really wants you to spoil to me uh, some of those uh, that like early game tech because I love figure- <laughs> finding out shit I, like that. The thing is, I don't want to because I want you to have uh... the same experience that I'm having because it's but like no kids I think... on the playground, kids conversation I... <laughs> on the playground. Well, I do. I, I'll. I'll chat. We'll, we can chat after we're done recording. Okay. I, again, I, I think we can keep this pretty short. Um, yeah, yeah. But I do have a couple other things I want to talk about. One is, mm-hmm. I fully accept that part of what I love about this game, and Dylan, I'm sure this is partly partially hitting you too, mm-hmm. is this game feels laser targeted at people like our age to like ten years older than us. Yeah, this is for millennials, and you know maybe. Uh, yeah, probably Gen Xers. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, I don't think my older brother plays video games much anymore, but, like, mm-hmm. if he does, this is a game for him. He's the guy I inherited my N64 and Ocarina of Time and my NES with, with Super mm-hmm. Mario Bros. 3 and Zelda 1 from him as a kid. And this game is absolutely, like, 
the, the when I first found that in-game manual and pulled it up and you can like see whenever you pull up the manual, the game pauses and it brings up the page of a manual as if you're holding it up in front of you and behind it, it turns whatever the screen looked like when you paused into like a, a faux CRT a super low fuzzy, poly like, or 16 bit style recreation of that screen. It's it's like you took it feels like a Genesis or even a Saturn game in presentation, yeah. but like it's been made fuzzier as if you were viewing it through a photo. Yeah, um, it off the screen. The first time I did that, I it was like the scene in Ratatouille where the critic eats the bite of the ratatouille <laughs> and you like zoom into his eye. But instead yes. of a, a, a cottage in France, I was sitting in the back of my dad's minivan as a, a eight year old driving yes. home with like an N64 game from the used game shop, Absolutely. flipping through the manual. Um, it was me and some PS one game. It might've been final fantasy tactics. It might've been a tales game from the PS one era, but like that was kind of a similar, um, wave that i got hit by yeah like and and i i don't want to discount that like a, a huge part of why this game is hitting me as hard as it is is that nostalgia and the way that they're they're tapping into that in well, a really interesting I would, way i would say that like for speaking to my own childhood um and this is something that tunic helped me remember the instruction manual and if i had the player's guide the player's guide especially was so instrumental in oh, yeah. my experience with video games absolutely it was um, because and like I-, I could only play video games on the weekend like starting in second or third grade so like usually if i wanted to like think about a game even when i couldn't play it i would go through the the prima official strategy guides i owned or the instruction manual and just like kind of read like some of the lore tidbits or like look at screenshots and imagine like what point of the game that is yeah yeah there there is something very core to the experience of like getting a new game back when in included manuals like this were a thing uh that is that is missing and it's it's fascinating to me to think that like there's a pretty sizable number of people who might play this game for whom this is going to be their first time kind of being made aware of this mm. thing and like like a, a historical value type of thing e- like even on top of the level of you're finding these pages the pages have like notes written on them yes and like people there somebody in the fiction of this game where the manual is a diegetic thing that the character in the game for the manual is collecting somebody has written notes in that manual and like tips and tricks and is like trying to decipher the puzzles yeah, in the manual. Like there's marginalia. It's wild game. It's so good. And, and that gets me to my needlessly highfalutin artsy take. Okay. I think I know where you're going with yeah, this. So this, let's hear it. This game feels like the latest in a kind of growing movement of, and forgive me, there's not really a better way of wording this, and I'm aware of what I'm about to sound like, but sort of a growing movement of postmodernism in video games. Oh no, Chris, pull up, pull up! <laughs> but like, like the, there is something very Brechtian about this game's presentation. Yes. The yes. existence of the manual as not just a tool to teach you how to play the game, but as a guide to lead you along the path that the developers instruct within the structure of the game itself, and like making this feeling of nostalgia into a mechanical function of the game, 
it's incredibly Brecht. It's incredibly like experimental theater. There's a lot of you know what this um experience like what the narrative that is playing out in my head is hmm. like i feel like i am playing an import copy of some japanese only game it, that never that made is exactly stateside. what it feels like yeah and i am like it's I like you're nice and you words. somehow got a copy of mother three on the yeah. nes in japanese <laughs> and and i there are let there there are words that i can recognize and pick out and like i i am just uh, fluent enough at reading the language that, like, I can kind of scrap my way through it and, like, just figure everything else out with context clues. Yeah, exactly. And that is such a cool feeling to recreate and, like, package to someone. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the thing is, this game isn't, at least so far, well, mm -hmm. one more little detail, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to offer spoilers, but later in the game, you come to this workshop where there's, like, chalkboards uh, with like, you know, if things in this made up script written out and, and formula. And I'm pretty sure one of the chalkboards has a sketch of an NES cartridge on it. <laughs> As if somebody in the fiction of the game knows that they're in a game. I don't I still don't know. I haven't fully cracked the nut yet. But like there's something very like self-referential and self-aware and and like avant-garde art about the way that this game is constructed. And it's not to any great end that I've come across yet. It doesn't seem like it's trying to, like, really deliver a message. It's just self-aware in a very interesting artistic way. And, like, yeah. there's a lot of other games recently that have been doing that. There's a game that I, I haven't played as much of as I want to that I really want to get into that came out last year called Inscription that is a, like, roguelike deck builder card game but it's also a psychological horror game that switches genres and has elements of FMV games and like oh yeah i've heard of this is very again very kind of avant-garde very brechtian with the way that it's engaging with itself as a game and then even something like Hades and the way that Hades uses the sort of roguelike formula as a narrative tool or if you're going really mainstream even the way that God of War 2018 is in active conversation with the other God of War games. There, there is this growing trend kind of across game development of games that are willing to kind of think about themselves as games and present that in a more active way. And this game feels like another sort of step along that road. And it, like, if nothing else, it has me really curious to see what else is going to come out in the next few years. It's like where the, the rabbit hole continues. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's really cool. And I think that it's, you know, this is a thing that artistic mediums go through. There's bit like theater and film and books and, and all of these different mediums have, have had the point where things have shifted into like, Let's make the artifice visible and games are just starting to get in. I mean, I'm saying that there have been games that have done stuff like this before, but it feels like more and more are coming out now. It's, it's becoming a not just a more commonly accepted thing, but it is being done in ways that feel less, I guess, jarring. Exactly. Because uh, like yeah. when, when I think about like, you know, Spec Ops the Line or Metal Gear Solid 2, they were very like, you're in a video game. Like, yeah, what? yeah. Here and, it's and like. And the elements, at, I have not played uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, so I'll have to leave that to you, but like the elements of spec off the line that felt so deep when it came out in, what, 2009, uh, mm -hmm. don't feel quite so deep now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Metal Gear Solid 2 still holds up, but it's 
it's definitely um it, it it holds up in the way that like well no it just holds up period but i i think um it treats the fact that you're in a video game as like kind of reality crumpling around you whereas like tunic something like tunic treats that as a formality or not yeah. even a formality but it's just like it's just the nature of the game it's part of the texture of the experience and yeah um like from literally like maybe minute five yeah if if that far if into that, it yeah yeah it's it's really great oh one other thing i want to bring up about this game because i fucking love it have you opened up any of the uh, accessibility options Dylan? yes i have i have uh yeah, so I just want to shout this out because I I opened this game and I started playing it and after I got over my initial like, oh, fuck, I love this, I had this thought of like, I know a bunch of people who would love this, but also a lot of those people aren't into the more challenging aspects of games like this. And like, the, the combat in this game is not easy. It is... Yeah. Um, it, I was... it, there, is some, there is some crunch to it. So Brennan was actually asking me about the difficulty. Unfortunately, I had to tell them that it wasn't on Switch, but uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it'll come to Switch. I think it'll be a it would be a great Switch game. Yeah, uh, I think they just gotta make sure they develop for it. But yeah, no, I I I told him like I don't think it's like Hollow Knight difficult, but it it's definitely like enemies hit hard and yeah. you do need to have like a certain degree of savviness to to do well. But yeah, I, and and so I. Mm -hmm. I had that thought. I was like, I don't know, like a lot of people like my, my wife, for instance, would love this game aesthetically, might bounce off difficulty wise. And so I opened that accessibility menu and they've got, you know, the sort of what should largely be standard at this point of, you know, they've got a reduced screen shake, reduced motion blur, reduced damage flash, vibration settings, all that kind of stuff for like I, actual I you know, vision accessibility. The, I, I kept the uh, damage uh, flash off because that was that was kind of rough. It's pretty me. rough. Uh, yeah. But then they also have two difficulty settings. You have one which is no stamina restriction. In this game, you have a stamina bar like in Dark Souls. It goes down when you dodge or when you block. Uh, and there's some other more granule, granular things about like how damage impacts you and how you're able to move when your stamina is below a certain threshold, which is all interesting. But mm -hmm. if you're not having fun with that, if you're finding that frustrating, you can just turn that off. And I think that's really cool. And then there's also a no-fail mode, where you just don't take damage. You still have to go through, the enemies are still going to try to fight you, but they're not going to be able to kill you. Right. Um, and I've used no-fail mode a couple of times. Like I, I, I have to. I got to like, the first uh, boss, and he put me in the dumpster a few times, but I was having fun, and like, okay, no, I, I, was, I was like, okay, no, I can, I can do this, and so I kind of bashed my head against him for a little bit longer and, and did do it uh, mm -hmm. the standard way. And then I got to the second boss... And I don't remember if it was a case of like, I don't think I can do this or if I just like wasn't in the mood because I was just like, I want to I want to get past this and I want to see what's up. But like I gave him, you know, three or four tries and was like, you know what? Nah. And I just turned on no fail mode and got through it that way so I could continue on and see what was left in the story. And like, mm -hmm. I'd recommend that there's some points of this game where it gets really hard. And I don't think the combat is really what you should be the here combat's for not the main draw the yeah it's the it's fun and the it's it feels is. good it's not a bad combat system by oh, any stretch fine. but it's also it, it's not as snappy as some of my favorite zelda games um it, yeah. it kind of leans into it being kind of souls like and while that has its its fans i think for a zelda like i i enjoy something a little snappier a little uh more versatility at least than what yeah. i've gotten so far yeah um, and like 
So the ability to kind of trivialize the combats, you know, if trivialize it's really rewarding and there's a point i got to fairly recently where i turned it on and i'm glad i did because i would have been there's a section with uh invisible enemies that you can make visible once you figure out what their patterns are and know where to try to hit them after they hit you but boy howdy figuring that out would have taken me probably three or four deaths if i hadn't had no fail mode on and i would have been (laughs) frustrated so Mm -hmm. uh Um, i think it's a great it's a great system and again, I'm trying it, to learn it the parry timings with uh with it on because like God is that a long window before it's so you can actually long. carry something. I <laughs> yeah, hope there's it's, a shield upgrade. <laughs> yeah, it is it is an interesting game. Uh, I would highly recommend playing it again, like with the the difficulty settings and the accessibility options they have, I can genuinely recommend it to anyone if you like uh if you have an affinity for old school adventure games or if you've like never seen a game like this. You know, if you have Game Pass, it's included in Game Pass. You can give it a try that way for, you know, literally zero risk. And I I do, I think we should wrap up because I don't want to spoil anything. And I, I just want to kind of leave it there. Though I'm right. happy to talk with you after we're done recording if you want yes. to chat shop. Let's go. I, I need some right. tips and tricks. So yeah, again, w- weird of us to do an entire episode on just one game. But hey, I got to bust out the word brechtian in there so i'd say we're still <laughs> on brand thank you yeah. so much for listening <laughs> to backstage gaming uh i hope you enjoyed i hope you go check out tunic let let us know on uh on twitter dylan will tell you about socials in a second if there's any other kind of hidden gem retro style games like this that do something interesting uh that we should check out i'm always this is one of my favorite genres of games and i love i love thoughtfully made ones like this so hit us up with that uh, also, you can find us on our website, bsgpod.com. If you want to get in touch with us directly, there's a contact form there. There's also info about us and the show. And wherever you're listening to us, whether you're getting us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher, if they let you leave ratings or reviews or hit that subscribe button, maybe do that. That stuff's all really good for analytics, and that helps us uh, grow and gain an audience, and that means a lot to us. So consider doing that as well hey dylan what about social media yeah if you want to hit us up on social media you can find us on facebook and on twitter where our handle is at bsg underscore cast also um yeah if you want to talk about the uh the games if you want to talk about tunic if you want to you know engage with anything you heard on this uh episode in any way uh we would love it if you use that hashtag bsg pod um for the reasons chris has already mentioned um also huge thanks to our friend brendan french for the key art he has provided our show if you dig his stuff you might dig more of it if you go to his squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com that is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com you can also find him on instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts or on his twitter at brennan underscore french you should also go check out our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. If you like that, you can find more of his music by going to soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thank you, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. There's tons of other podcasts about video games included there. So if you like us, you'll probably like some of those too. You can find those by going to Twitter and searching for at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you, as always, to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod for supporting the show, for making it so that we're not losing money on things like web hosting fees. Uh, it really does mean the world to us that we are, have the support that we do and that we're able to keep doing this without uh, breaking the bank. And uh, yeah, if you like the show, 
and want to show its support in a very direct way, Patreon is a great way to do that. And I think that'll do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening and, and indulging as I just kind of gushed about the game that has taken over all of my gray matter for the last 72 hours. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.